0: Welcome. Um, hope you're having a good morning. Thank you guys for having us, me and my family. It really is a joy and an honor to be with you all this morning. And I just can't even tell you, you might not even know me or my family, but I just can't even tell you the love that we feel from faith and from you all. So it just means we're all and We pray for you all often and think of you. So so, yeah, thank you Brian again for having us and like he said, this morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 4 or scroll there on your phone and we're going to be looking at verse 32 this morning, Ephesians 4, verse 32. So I'm going to read the passage, pray for us and then we'll get started. This is the word of the Lord. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning, weak and needy sinners, as we say, in desperate need of you and all the grace that you give and we come to you this morning on this day of worship and rest worshiping you the triune God who created us and sustains us and resting not only from our worldly endeavors but from the toil and strife of seeking to work for our salvation Lord and we look forward to that ultimate rest that is for us in heaven that your son has purchased so by your spirit this morning, would you open our eyes to see the truths of your word, to see the glory of Christ, and to be changed from one degree of glory to the next? You pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So, I was thinking about forgiveness this week, and it's a concept that we talk about a lot. Maybe you bump into someone to store and hit shoulders and you say something like, forgive me, so we use this word a lot, it's a pretty common word, but I think a lot of times we forget that it means so much more than just a simple forgive and I was thinking about it, much of the conflict in our life, or interpersonal conflict, whether it's with coworkers maybe, or a spouse, or children, or maybe it's members of your church, or maybe it's even within yourself, That it can kind of be boiled down to this idea of forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness and so what we all want really is to experience forgiveness at some level whether it's forgiveness from one another or ultimately forgiveness from God and so this morning we're going to look closely at this idea of forgiveness and ask this question how do we experience forgiveness And we'll do that by seeing that it is only when we see the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ that we can experience the true freedom of forgiveness. It is only when we see the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ that we can experience the true freedom of forgiveness. And we'll do this by looking at this outline this morning. I'm not sure if it's up behind me, but... We'll look at three main things. First, the need of our forgiveness. Second, the ground of our forgiveness. And third, the experience of this forgiveness. And if you follow along with me in verse 32, hopefully we see these things coming out of the scripture. So verse 32 says, be loving, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So forgiveness, simply put, is the canceling of a debt, if we want to think about it in simple terms. And Paul here in the book of Ephesians is addressing the saints in Ephesus. And he is calling them to forgive one another. But he's doing something interesting. He's rooting this command to forgive, not in something that the Ephesians have done, but in something that God has done. And so this is how the verse gets set up. First, it is God that acts. And it was only then and in light of what God has done that Paul is calling the Ephesians to live in light of this. And this is really how the whole book of Ephesians is set up. And lots of the epistles are the letters in the New Testament. So Ephesians 1-3 through 3 is describing what God has done in Christ in saving sinners. And so we read about these amazing truths in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 of the father planning redemption of the son accomplishing redemption the spirit sealing believers and then in chapters 4 through 6 the second half of the book we read about how these believers in Ephesus are to live in light of that in light of what God's done and so we can put ourselves in that picture and so it's just important to remember this as we jump in because we're in chapter 4 we're in the second part of this book but we must not forget what has come before and we'll get to see that in verses today so well first we will look at the need of our forgiveness and you can see this again in verse 32 it says these words forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you so Paul here is grounding his command for Christians to forgive one another Not in what they have done, but what God has done in Christ, in forgiving them. And so Paul is assuming something about these Ephesians and about me and you, that we are sinners, that we need forgiveness. And if we've read Ephesians, we'll see that this is already set up. So if you'll turn back me a couple pages in Ephesians and look at chapter 2, Paul's already talked about this idea. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says this, Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So these are sobering words from the Apostle Paul here. But he is showing us that we are by nature dead in our sins and trespasses. And this is not a new concept for Paul. In Romans three, he says this he says, None is righteous, no not one. No one seeks for God, no one has done good, not even one. And so this morning, before we can even look at the idea of forgiving others, we have to take an honest look at ourselves. And I think that if we're honest, we know this to be true, that we have problems, that we are messed up, that we are sinners. And so often, we get going in our own lives and our own day, and we don't think about How our actions affect other people and how we sin against one another, whether we're selfish, maybe, we think about ourselves, maybe we're angry or bitter, maybe we hold grudges against people or gossip. There's many things that we do, but our sin, first and foremost, is not against one another. Ultimately, it is against God. And David understands this. In Psalm 51, he's speaking to God, and he says these words, Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. If we know the context of this psalm, David had just been confronted by the prophet Nathan, and if we know that story, David had just taken another man's wife and had him killed. So David's sin was very much against other people in a very real way. But David here in the psalm understands that his sin is first and foremost not against these people, but it is against God. So you might ask, why? Why is it against God? It is because God is just and God is holy. And it is God's law that David has broken. And it's God's law that you and I break. And it doesn't take long to go down that list of Ten Commandments to see this. The first commandment is this that you shall have no other gods before me now we might not worship a wooden statue or a golden idol but we often worship everything but god we worship our money our comfort our family our job our status these are all good things but we put them in the place of god and so we see that it is god that is holy and we are not and because God is holy and just, He cannot sweep our sins under the rug. So this is really the question that the whole Bible asks: It is, how can a people who are sinful be in the presence of holy God? This takes us to the ground of our forgiveness. So we've looked at the need of our forgiveness that you and I are sinners. So now we will look at the ground of our forgiveness. And we see this in verse 32 if you want to look there with me. Paul says, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the ground of our forgiveness. Not what we have done, but what God has done. Not that we are good, but that God is good. And not that we are able to cover or atone for our sins, but that God has provided. And some people will say, this God of forgiveness is only found in the New Testament, right? The New Testament God is loving and forgiving, but the Old Testament, this was a different God maybe, or maybe he just wasn't as nice. But this idea that God is a forgiving God, that God will provide a way, that God will cover his people, is not only found in the New Testament, but also we see it in the Old and if we look this this, we'll, we'll see this all the way back in Genesis in the garden. What do we see there? Adam and Eve are in the garden, right? This paradise land. And they are given one command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they succumb to the temptation of the devil, of the serpent, and they sin and they fall away. And they, it says they seek to hide themselves from God, and they realize their nakedness and are ashamed. And there's something really interesting. It says that they sought to cover themselves. It says that they sowed fig leaves and they sought to cover their nakedness and their shame. So what does God do? God is not surprised by this. He sees their sin. But because of their sin, they cannot be in God's presence. They are banished. He kicks them out of the garden. And so we know how the story goes. God pronounces curses both on them and on the serpent. But there's something really interesting in verse... (coughs) 21 of chapter 3 it says this and the lord god made for adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them we kind of skip past this detail a lot but it says that god covered them and clothed them this is really interesting so this means that their covering was not enough that God had to sacrifice an animal, this was the skin of an animal, to cover them. So instead of Adam and Eve being sacrificed, one was sacrificed in their place as a substitute to cover them. So we see God provide both the sacrifice and the covering. We also see this in Abraham, if you're familiar with that story. Abraham had this, him and his wife were barren for many years and they were promised this child that would have a multitude of people come from him, this son, and they name him Isaac. But God calls Abraham to sacrifice this son on the mountain. So Isaac is carrying the wood up this mountain on his back, and he doesn't understand. He says, where is the sacrifice? He turns to his father and says, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says this. He says, God will provide on the mountain. And that's what does. That's what God does. He provides. says god provided and he provides this ram caught in the thorns in the thicket so just like with adam and eve with abraham we see god provide we also see this in the people of israel on the day of atonement if you wanted to go there leviticus 16 you could look at that more and this question comes up in the book of leviticus how can the sinful people dwell amongst the holy god we see these two offerings we see this on this Day of Atonement, there's these two goats. There's one that takes the sins of the people, they place their hand on the head of the goat, and they send the goat off into the wilderness. So this one takes the sins of the people, and there's this other goat that is slain, that is offered to atone for, or make pure, the people. So one takes the sins of the people, and one is sacrificed to cover them. So again, just like with Abraham, just like with Adam and Eve, God provides of the sacrifice and the covering. And finally, we'll look at the prophet Zechariah. I don't know when the last time you read Zechariah was, but there's some amazing visions in this book. And one of them, Zechariah has this vision from the Lord, and he sees the high priest at the time, Joshua, standing before the Lord in all of his glory and splendor. Now, this was the work of the high priest, was to stand, was to represent the people and to stand before the Lord. But there's something interesting in the story. says that Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. He was not worthy to come before the Lord. It also says that in this vision that Satan was standing by ready to accuse him. And what's so interesting is that Satan is actually right here. Joshua is not worthy to come before the Lord. His garments are stained and filthy. And according to the law, Joshua should actually be put to death. But what does God do? It says that He does two things. First, He removes the filthy garments from Joshua, and then He places pure garments on him. So, just like the others, we see God provides a covering for His people. So as we look this morning at the ground of our forgiveness, the Bible is pretty clear that it is not in us, that it is something that God provides outside of us. So for Adam and Eve, God provided a sacrifice. For Abraham, God provided a sacrifice, a ram caught in the thorns. For Israel, God provided one that would be banished and the one that would atone for. For Joshua, God provided not only the removing of his filthy rags, but the clothing of pure vestments. And so we see that it is not these people that somehow worked their way up to God to earn His favor. It is what God did. It is not what we do to cover ourselves. It is what God has done. And so as we look at the ground of our forgiveness, we can see that this is what God has done in the person and work of His Son and what all these types and shadows of the Old Testament pointed to and found their fulfillment in. Because the book of Hebrews is clear, it says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that these animals only purified the flesh, but they could not cleanse the soul. And all of these sacrifices and shadows of the Old Testament pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that God would provide, His only Son. And John 3.16 is the verse that came to my mind. And we read this verse so often, but as, we, as I read it this morning, hopefully it hits us with more depth in a new way. And it says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This, brothers and sisters, is the ground of our forgiveness that God would provide. And he did when he sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We see it in that verse from Galatians that Christ assumed our nature, human flesh, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, taking on human flesh. We see Christ assumed our duties, born under the law, and lived in perfect obedience to the law. We see Christ assume our liabilities, the punishment and curse that we have earned, that our sin deserved. And friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus came to do. That Jesus is the true covering for God's people that Jesus is the better Isaac, the better son of Abraham, who carried his wooden cross up the mountain with a crown of thorns, but was not spared. His blood was spilled for his people. And that Jesus is the better and true sacrifice that not only takes our sins upon himself and cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But is the perfect lamb that takes away our sins. This is true forgiveness, Christ crucified. Not that we worked and earned God's grace, but that it was given. And this is to be received by faith alone. That Christ has paid for our sins on the cross, and that by faith Christ's righteousness is given to us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And this is really the answer to that question. How can a people who are sinful dwell amongst a holy God? This is what Martin Luther and the Reformers called justification. It's a double invitation, it's a fancy way of saying this, that it is sin forgiven and the righteousness of Christ given. Our sin placed on Christ and his righteousness given to us. Martin Luther called this an alien righteousness. (laughs) And I'm reminded of the song, There's a Fountain, and it says these words, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. This brings us to our last point, the experience of forgiveness. And hopefully you've seen that it is only when we see the need of our forgiveness and the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ that we can experience the true freedom of forgiveness and that by faith sinners clothed in filthy rags can be made clean in the blood of the lamb and this is not a superficial forgiveness one that has strings attached that might say I forgive you now but if you don't do this or you don't do that I'll remove that forgiveness no God's forgiveness is free, it is full, and it is immediate. God's forgiveness is free, it is full, and it is immediate. And this morning, we can rest in this forgiveness, brothers and sisters. Jesus says these words, and I think I think Brian wrote them last week. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest so we can take joy in what God has done but if we're honest sometimes we can struggle to rest in this i don't know about you guys but maybe this last week was a particularly difficult week maybe you struggled with maybe you struggled with unforgiveness and we can feel the weight of our guilt and our shame and it can actually crush us and make us feel condemned It can make us feel unworthy to come to God. You know, maybe God could forgive someone else, but He couldn't forgive me what I've done. Maybe nobody knows what you've done, and you think that you sin beyond God's saving power. And I'm reminded of the prophet Isaiah when it says, "A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoking wick He will not quench." And Jesus says in the Gospels, "I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." This is exactly who Jesus came to save. He came to save sinners. It is not our sin that dequalifies us. It is our sin that qualifies us for God's saving power. And we sang this song this morning, and I guess Jeff was gonna even do it before he knew that I asked to play it, but I'm just gonna read these words, and may we be reminded of this. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you carry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners jesus came to call let not conscience make you linger nor of fitness fondly dream all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him and this he gives you this he gives you tis the spirit's rising beam. lo the incarnate god ascending pleads the merit of his blood venture on him venture holy let no other trust in true; none but Jesus, none but Jesus, can do helpless sinners good." So we see in these words that it is even the deepest guilt and even the weakest faith that our God is a God that is tenderhearted and that he has provided a fountain of cleansing. And that this is ultimately a supernatural work of the Spirit showing us our sin, showing us our need for Christ. This is the experience of our forgiveness, that we can have confidence before the throne of grace and that through what Christ has done, we are truly forgiven, not in part, but the whole, as the Old Hymn says. And this freedom is not just for us. It is twofold. So it not only frees us from the guilt and shame of our sin, it frees us to forgive those that have sinned against us, and we see this in verse 32. If you want to look there with me, it says, "Be kind, loving, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." So when we struggle to forgive someone, and maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness this morning, maybe someone has wronged you in a profound way. And we can't even imagine how we could possibly extend forgiveness to that person we need to remember the forgiveness that God has given us and how much we have been forgiven if you're familiar with Matthew 18 Peter comes to Christ and he says how many times should I forgive my brother that sins against me seven Jesus answered him seventy-seven and he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. There was this king in a land. And a servant owed him a great debt. Millions of dollars. And he begs and he begs and he receives this forgiveness of the debt that he, that he had. And as he's leaving he sees a fellow servant that owes him a very small debt. 20 bucks in our minds. Just a small debt. And as he's just been forgiven his great debt he cannot even forgive this one of a small debt and he shakes him out and he has this guy thrown in prison and all these things happen and this should show us the ridiculousness of unforgiveness that we who know how great our sin is and how much we have been forgiven how much more out of gratitude should we be eager and willing to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ Sin against us. So, like it says in the verse, be loving, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so, as we kind of come to a close, we'll just kind of step back and think about some things that we just looked at. First, that God's forgiveness is free, it is full, and it is immediate. And this is, should be a joy and a, rest, a restful doctrine for us. The second thing is that Christ has purchased this salvation and this forgiveness. And that in living the perfect life that we could not live in and dying the death that we deserve, He has purchased this forgiveness. And we need the Spirit of God to both apply the benefits that Christ has won and to help us daily to show us our sins, to show us our need for Christ, and to help us to forgive one another. And so we can see that this idea of forgiveness is not just a simple thing like we talked about in the beginning, but it is really a work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we don't necessarily need a 10-step program to be better forgivers. We need the triune God of the universe. And if we're honest, we will struggle with this, right? We are all human. And we will struggle to forgive those relationships in our lives, whether it's family, or our children, co-workers maybe even uh, members of our church and while reconciliation and restoration of a relationship is ultimately a two-way street forgiveness is not so as 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 far as it depends on us we should seek peace with one another and seek to remove the anger and bitterness that can creep in we live in a fallen world people will continue to sin against us and us against them And we will struggle to forgive those around us but as we struggle may we run to Christ who is the ground of our forgiveness and pray that he would give us strength to forgive those that sin against us and as we come to the table this morning the Lord's Supper may we remember these truths that we would not only seek to be reconciled to our brothers those that have sinned against us but that we would also seek to be reconciled to God our Creator that yes, we would examine ourselves to see the ways this past week that we've fallen into sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But ultimately, would we run to Christ by faith? And I reminded of Revelation 7. There's this vision John has of a great multitude of every tribe and tongue and nation gathered before the Lord. And they're all clothed in robes of white. And the angel says, Who are these people? And the answer that is given them is that these are the ones that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So may we look to the Lamb by faith this morning, knowing that his blood has been shed so that we might be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. Weak and needy, bruised and broken by the fall. We thank you for sending your Son, your only Son, so that we might have life. We pray that you would be with us as we go from here and as we. Of the supper, that we would not let our consciences make us linger, but that we would run to you by faith, receiving and resting all that you've done, and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Give us strength by your Spirit, help us to trust in you today and this week. In your name we pray.